This episode is brought to you by Sunday to Sunday with Father Mike Russo. Sunday to Sunday is a new online video series that explores the art, craft, and spirituality of preaching. Father Mike Russo hosts this preaching journey and goes to faith communities around the country to hear gifted witnesses of the gospel. For complete episodes, visit sundaytosunday.net. Zach, is your mom here? Yeah, no pressure. Okay, that's a lot of pressure. She's watching, but she's watching. Ah! I mean, it's only pressure she, for you. Yeah. <laughs> your mom, I feel like your mom has been in. She's waving back. She's Hi. been in studio before, she has. right? With yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Amanda's parents. Did you bring us the, the jungle juice this time? <laughs> holy, <laughs> no. holy water? Holy, holy water. water. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Uh, hello. Good to be with you, Ashley. <laughs> I thought about talking about my own allergies, but no one cares about that. It's but the first you, time for me, so it feels still, very dramatic. You're still talking about but your allergies. This is what people do every day. So <laughs> He made it even more dramatic than I would have expected. Funny how I can have, I have a way. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard because it, they're making it look like you're crying all the time. And, and so Does it really? Like I have to yeah, be nice to you. It's true. <laughs> I'm sorry you feel like you have to be nice to me. <laughs> uh, uh, what's on tap, Zach? Uh, we're recording this episode a little bit earlier in the day. And so... We'll Even we don't drink at 12 p.m. on Tuesday. No, no. Yeah. At least during work on work days. Yeah. So no day drinking today, um, but maybe some Claritin later. Yeah. Would be on tap. Who are we talking to this week, Olga? So this week we're talking with Father Eric Sundrup, who is an associate editor here at American Media. And if you listen to our all the way through <laughs> to our credits, he provides us with Jesuit formation for every episode. Um, and he's been with us since the very beginning of Jesuitical. Yeah. So for the past two years, we've been meeting with Eric every single week to tell him about um, where we found God in our week and where we didn't. And what that really means is talking about very like intimate details about our lives and relationships. Uh, so Eric knows us pretty well. Yeah, and Eric is leaving us uh, here at America Media. That is, he's not dying. But he is going to be a parish priest in Cincinnati, Ohio, going back to the homeland. But he's going to stay on as our faith formator remotely. But while we still had him in the office, we wanted to ha- take that opportunity to ask him about spiritual direction in general and how that's different than what he provides to us on the show. So stick around for that interview. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Olga? So our first story this week is coming out of Detroit. The archdiocese there has introduced a new policy that's going into effect in August. Catholic parishes and schools must stop scheduling athletic games and practices on Sundays. Now, they're doing this because they want to encourage families to focus on holiness, rest, and family togetherness instead of, you know, going to play sports. We have very mixed reactions <laughs> to this policy. Uh, I am very for it. Really into banning the sports on Sunday. Ashley is... Yeah, I I appreciate the effort, but I do think this goes too far. And they could have just, you know, like said, no sports before 1 p.m. So people can go to mass and then still have their soccer games. Okay. And All right. This is going to encourage people to join secular club travel leagues that do play on Sundays because people have very busy lives and it's going to be impossible to get all of these games scheduled for a Saturday. We somehow did it way before 
sports took over the lives of all American children. I just have one question. Ashley, okay. did you go to your CCD classes on Sundays very often? Most of the time, yes. That's not... Most of the time, mm. from first grade to fifth grade, it was only in like sixth grade that it got a little dicier. Because? <laughs> because I was playing on a travel, travel soccer, soccer league. league. That's right. Okay, so I pretty much rest my case there. The second point I want to bring up Genesis 2, on the seventh day, God completed the work he'd been doing, and he rested. I'm glad the church is encouraging people to stand against the culture of busyness. You're just saying this because you were cut from your basketball team. Okay, (laughs) maybe. For those of us who did play sports, I I tend to side with Ashley. I went to Catholic school, played sports in elementary school, in high school, and I love that we were able to have games on Sunday because it, it, it is another form of instilling values and discipline in kids. And if you can do that in a Catholic context, I think it's super helpful for kids. Yeah, and actually, like, this is the one thing I actually did with my family on weekends. So if they care about building up families, sports are, like, what brings families together, especially in your rough, like, middle and high school years. Yeah, it's horrible to talk to teenagers about anything else. (laughs) But I think we're, I think the, Diocese of Detroit, Archdiocese of Detroit is saying is that there, there will still be Catholic sports. It's just when we're so we're still going to get all of those benefits. It's we're just trying to have another benefit, too. And God forbid people are maybe a little bored on Sunday. Maybe people are. Yeah, they'll resting. have to pray. Maybe they'll stuff. pray. Maybe they'll <laughs> go to brunch. There are all these different things that could happen instead of driving an hour and a half away to your soccer tournament. All right. We'll have to agree to disagree. What's our next story, Zach? So a Catholic. This is more spicy content. A Catholic <laughs> high school in San Diego is making a alteration. To its dress code. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> it, they are banning skirts. So in what? an email to students, the principal of Cathedral Catholic High School said enforcing the dress code was a perennial challenge. And despite the thousands, <laughs> thousands of hours of detention, wow. girls are still rolling up their skirts and it's still an issue. So in the email to students, the principal mentioned that uh, teachers felt uncomfortable confronting girls about the length of their skirts. And so the the rule was no longer really getting enforced by teachers, um, which led to detention hours. And it just seemed like a, a big old mess. So as someone who has actually seen these Catholic skirts in action, because I have gone to Catholic <laughs> school my whole life, um, I, I find this really strange because teachers at my school had absolutely no problem telling us to unroll our skirts. Um, Were they sisters or were they lay people or all of them? All of them. Male, female (laughs) teachers were just like, hey, these are the rules. Your skirt is in violation of our school rules. So I find it weird that they can't just tell students this. I guess I could see how maybe you would just get tired of constantly telling people. It's not doesn't sound like I always I don't know. Dress codes always weirded me out a little bit. I was trying to read through their dress code and there's just (laughs) so many rules. And I just have like a super hard time seeing how they matter. But yeah. this is and a I, I feel thing. like it's like part of Catholic school education is this constant battle <laughs> over dress codes. And it's they're kind of taking the fun out of it by making girls wear pants. <laughs> and I guess one thing that I did appreciate is that I think dress code violations often focus on women and how they're dressing to an extent that is clearly sexist. But the uh, policy did say that they were going to up their enforcement and hold boys more accountable about things like facial hair, the length of their hair. And so that was a positive yeah. move, I thought. Yeah, but I, I, I'm always hesitant when I hear this, like, we're going to try to mandate how boys should wear their hair because I've you see so many stories in schools where, like, black students have to cut off their dreadlocks or, you know, and it's it's always unfortunate to hear to see that. Like what culture is being privileged in the exactly. dress code or exactly. the other, which is why dress codes are just kind of bizarre. Maybe 
I don't know. What's our next story, Ashley? <laughs> uh, next, we got some more being frank, uh, the se- occasional segment where we give you life advice from Pope Francis. Um, and this week, he is saying throwing away food is like throwing away people. So don't do it. That seems like questionable metaphysics I'm just, <laughs> or questionable similes. I don't know. One of the two. But no, seriously, I thought this was this kind of hit me really hard because I feel like it's so easy to, especially in New York, things are just like, I mean, it's everywhere. Everywhere produces a ton of trash. And you don't really like consider this journey that food has gone on, right? From like right. farmers that grew it mm-hmm. and um, how it, the people that packaged it and produced it and how it got on your plate and mm-hmm. sort of not having that awareness is like throwing them away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I always appreciate when Pope Francis talks about things like this because I'm, I'm definitely one of those people who needs to be challenged. I can be very wasteful and I'm never thinking about these things. I'll just be like, oh, I'm going to buy this and then it goes to waste and I'll just get rid of it. Um, So I always appreciate when he challenges Catholics in this way. Yeah. What's our next story, Olga? So in the latest issue of The Atlantic, James Carroll wrote this really big piece that everyone has been writing their takes on um, where he calls for abolishing the priesthood because he kind of conflates the priesthood with clericalism. And he says that clericalism has made the priesthood completely corrupt and it cannot be saved. Yeah, I found the piece really simplistic. He, he like you said, he conflates <laughs> clericalism, the idea that priests are somehow above and holier mm-hmm. than lay people um, with just the priesthood itself, as if there is something inherent in an all-male, all-celibate priesthood um, that produces clericalism and then clericalism leads to sex abuse which i think that is something pope francis has said that clericalism is a factor in the abuse crisis no one's denying that clericalism exists Mm -hmm. right right but there's (laughs) a big jump from saying that to saying we should get rid of all priests because we all know good priests Mm -hmm. yeah what did what did you think olga i found this a little i was personally frustrated with this because one like you said zach we this is something We've talked about clericalism being a problem. Pope Francis has talked about this. But it's frustrating because when we do know really great priests, we work with a lot of really great priests. And it doesn't I felt that this article didn't fairly represent the problems that we have in the church. And it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating for me when I hear people who are outside of the church read a piece like this and then tell me, well, why would you stay in the church when every priest is this awful person? And I think it reduces a lot of the people that we know to just this this stereotype, you know? Yeah. And something I was thinking was. We all know there are non-priests in the church who are definitely clerical. I'm thinking mm-hmm. often of parish secretaries wield power in a very clerical way, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't know. And just sort of, I didn't, I couldn't get past, you know, okay, so if there's no priest, what, is what does Catholicism look yeah. like? Right? And, and in a sense, like, I think the word ordain, if you go back to the Latin, it just means to sort of set aside or put it in place. And our religion is such that it's been handed down to us that we set aside these people to uh, minister the sacraments to us. And so I, if there's no priesthood, there's no Eucharist. And that's just like such a fundamental part of my, I mean, Catholic faith in general, but like my own spirituality that my imagination can't make that leap. Yeah. And that's something I, I also found that frustrating. It's like you don't save the church by getting rid of the church. Um, yeah. And it just seemed like such a arrogant argument to make and really ignores like the billion people who do get so much out of the Eucharist and mm-hmm. can't imagine their church and their faith without it. Um, so to, you know, th- say that like the only way to combat sexual abuse is to basically destroy <laughs> the structure of our faith. I just, I did not like that. 
Right. And and I think it, it is very important to constantly brainstorm ways to make our church better. But mm-hmm. this is not one of them. Joining us in studio today is Father Eric Sundrup, an associate editor and the director of audience development at America Media. For over two years, he has provided us with spiritual formation. Welcome to Jesuitical, Father Eric. <laughs> Thank you, Olga. It's a pleasure to be with all how, of you. How would you like us to refer to you? Well, as I said, as we were preparing, Father the entire time. I think it's, you know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever called you Father the entire time I've known you, so it's going to feel so weird to start now. But I will. I will respect no, your agency don't, don't, if you don't, like. Don't, 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 don't. Not for the interview. <laughs> the Reverend, welcome to this side of the podcast. <laughs> so first question for you, Eric. Yep. What is spiritual direction and what makes it different from counseling? One of the key components to remember in in spiritual direction, and you talk about this a lot in Jesuitical when you, you, know, you say, I was talking with Eric or I was talking with somebody about this, is the primary conversation is actually between you and God. The director is there to repeat and reflect to point out where God is alive and active and what's going on and what they see in the stories that someone shares or the reflections or the um, setup of their prayer life. That's more the role of the spiritual director uh, so throughout, than a counselor. Throughout these two years with you, I should have been talking to God. I, I think I've yeah. been doing this really wrong. So I, we talked about this, Olga, and I did want to bring it up on air. But yeah. Now, th- something I've always wondered is spiritual direction with a capital S, capital D has always felt very weighty. Is 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 that a specific discipline aside from just maybe conversations that I have that are in a spiritual nature with someone who is? Yeah. In a- so I think there's a there's I think there's a clear distinction between spiritual conversation, spiritual direction um, and you know just like hanging out with uh, um, someone and talking about religion uh, like there's now. Like are the lines really strong all the time? No, they might they might fade over. But if you're if you're doing spiritual direction, you're actually entering into a professional role with someone. So like when I when I do in uh, spiritual direction, I sit down and one of the first meetings is to kind of lay down some rules <laughs> so that everybody understands what's going on, and what's there. Like you know, I have found sometimes that people uh, we I make the joke that like they're afraid to break up with their spiritual director, and I, I encourage people like if this isn't working, if my personality or my style doesn't make sense or doesn't fit, don't hesitate to go find another spiritual director don't and don't feel like like there's some kind of like uh relationship that you have to maintain for that it also it's important to keep those boundaries uh, set up so um you would generally not become a spiritual director someone you're really a, a close friend with or you're a co-worker with right uh, so which is why wait. i yeah okay <laughs> Which is why I would refer f- more frequently to what we do in preparation for consolations and desolations is spiritual violence than actual spiritual <laughs> because, direction. Because it blurs a lot of traditional. Yeah. So it's, I mean, especially when we're producing it for um, something to be, uh, I don't wish to make, make it sound like it's produced and therefore not authentic and not real. But I mean, I would say things to y'all in, oops, I'm switching uh, to all of you. Um, <laughs> we say y'all on the show. It's okay. <laughs> well, some of us say y'all on the show. <laughs> I, I would say things to you uh, in preparation for the podcast that I would never say to a directee because I would also know that for a directee, I've got a lot of time and I wouldn't want to push anything too quickly. And I want all the you know things that are coming about to be coming from their own prayer life and their relationship with God because you don't want to put your own uh, sense of how things should be or are onto a directee. Yeah. That's, We're going to talk thing. more about like your role for in Jesuitical in mm-hmm. a bit. Um, but sticking with spiritual direction in general, what should people look for in a spiritual director? And like what maybe are some red flags? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I think you should look for someone that has gone through uh, training uh, before. So you should ask the director uh, about um, the training. Do you have to be a priest to be a spiritual director? Absolutely not. No, I, um, I've had a number of, of, of directors that aren't priests. Specifically, mm-hmm. sometimes I look for directors that, uh, that aren't priests because I want someone that has a different perspective uh, on that setup. I think you also um, want a director who is actually um, in supervision. So as a director, one of the things that's really important is that you are meeting with other directors in a supervisory setup so that you can talk about what is being triggered within you as you're going through direction with other people in order to make sure that your stuff doesn't become their stuff. (laughs) And so it's a a professional supervision uh, session. Who has access to spiritual direction? So like if a listener is out there right now, they're like, oh, I want, this sounds something like something I would want. Mm-hmm. Do you have to work at a Jesuit ministry to f- find one of these? <laughs> no, there's 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 different associations of of spiritual directors and, and different retreat centers. You could you could call almost any Jesuit retreat house and ask, do they have a collection of directors and uh, that they could put you in contact with? You could call a parish. Um, there's a setup for that, and um, several Jesuit websites have links to um, trained directors as well. If I could ask a somewhat delicate question, what are what are what's like the most awkward thing? that typically happens in spiritual direction or maybe that you, you've experienced. Be great if you didn't reference My, our previous conversation. Right, I was say, so specifically about you? Or? No, not no, counting no. the three of us. Not counting the three of Just us. Asking for a friend. <laughs> um, I know as a director, there's there's moments where like someone's talking about what's going on in their prayer and I, I, I think, I'm not always right, uh, but I think I can see where God is moving and they just don't, and the last thing, <laughs> and, and like, like I'm, I'm an impatient person by nature, so I'm trying to portray a sense of patience and just walk mm-hmm. with him. And you can't force anyone to be someone they're not. So that that as a director can be an some, awkward tension. Uh, I thought you said habit. you weren't going to talk about your conversations. See, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like you're projecting. I am, I am. <laughs> Has there been a time when spiritual direction was especially helpful in your own life? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean... Part of my journey uh, in, in my own vocation and becoming a Jesuit had a lot to do with um, spiritual direction. I, you know, uh, I, when I was a sophomore in college, I kind of made a sort of like private decision with myself, like I wanted to be a Jesuit, but I had no idea. I wanted to do what Jesuits did. I didn't know why they do what they do. And so the Jesuits were really good about, they uh, lined me up with a spiritual director in, in, in Cincinnati, uh, which is my, my hometown, that's where I was going to college. And uh that was just so eye-opening to have, um, at you know, at the age of 19, I had someone that I was accountable to to talk about my uh, prayer life. So, like, my prayer life was really rich, like, the week before direction because I was like, oh, I got to pray. I got to pray. Right. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. cramming for a test. It's like when people go to the doctor and they start running for the first right. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just to have someone to walk with me and make help me notice where God was alive and working was so... Uh, eye-opening. It changed my my uh, my sense of what prayer was. Prayer had more been um, memorization and duty, and this became uh, uh, an opportunity to see where God was alive and at work in so many different aspects, not when I specifically decided it was prayer, but a lot of different things were going on in my life. So that was really crucial. And then some of the like, key transitions in my life, my directors have been really, really good to me in theology. Um, I had an amazing director at the Jesuit School of Theology in Berkeley. Um, and there's just so many moments um, where she was, she was just, she would just look at me. He's like, "That's not the voice of God." And I was like, mm, "Fair," but I've been <laughs> following that for about a month. 
just kind of calling me out on some stuff, especially as I was preparing to manifest my provincial and talk about where I wanted to go after ordination right. and what that meant. It's like this big sort of like, you know, I'd, for much of my Jesuit life, you know, 11 years of formation, it was just like, I'll do whatever the next step is. And then it was like, you're going to be ordained. And then like, and then what? <laughs> so that was, that was a really powerful experience for me. And that, that's over like two years, right? That's, that's like, it's a long, it's, it's, I didn't meet, I met this person once a month, right? But it's, it's that, it's that long trajectory of that. Why has spiritual direction been so central uh, in the mission of Jesuits? I mean, that's, it's the way that Ignatius introduced people to the exercises. It's, 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 um, it grows out of the spiritual exercises, which is the, which is the great gift that Ignatius has. And I think that, uh, for the spiritual church, exercises being the spiritual exercises being, um, a, a method of, uh, and set of prayers and retreats and meditations that Ignatius put together over the course of an experience of, of his frequently handed to you in a book form, but mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's more like, like a, it literally, it's kind of like a, a collection of exercises, the way you would get like a workout book. Like these are the, you know, the, do this for, you know, leg day and this for uh, <laughs> uh, chest and back. Um, so it grows out of that. And, and Ignatius's whole point here is this is a way to get people to enter into a personal relationship with Christ and with God. And so that's the goal. That's a component. And there's like about a bazillion different ways to do it and to adapt it. And so it's a very personal and a very adaptable setup. And I think that's why the Jesuits are really, really big into a personal uh, direction. You mentioned before how having a spiritual director kind of gave you a level of like accountability in your prayer life. Um, I've never actually had real spiritual direction, but my I, I assume like you get the most out of it if you do your homework. So what would you what would you say that people who are thinking about this like should be doing in between you know spiritual direction sessions so that they're like actually getting something out of it instead of like showing up and having I mean, to pray on the spot. Yeah, I would fall back on, I would fall back on that uh, analogy to the, to exercise, right? Mm-hmm. You know like all the health kick stuff, right? You know like you know suddenly running for 2 weeks in a row isn't going to change your you know your body composition mm-hmm. and your, your 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 VO2 max and all all those other things. That's not you're great to my hear. Heart. <laughs> Summer summer's in a couple weeks. That's not the best thing to tell. Yeah, your beach right body now. isn't yeah. going to happen between uh, Memorial Day and uh, the, Watch the, me. And, and well, you're all quite young. Uh, God bless you. Uh, for those of us a little a little older. Um, I think it's it's building habits. You have a habit of prayer for a lot of my directees, I recommend journaling, uh, even for people that don't naturally journal, just so that they have some recording of what's going on. And I don't, you know, you don't have to do like the whole dear diary and like, you know, <laughs> properly grammatically correct and everything like laid out there, but like even just outlines or things that struck you throughout the day, um, you know, where you felt most moved, where you felt most upset, um, what was going on in your day, um, when you were praying, when you weren't praying, what happened, just so you see that, because that's sort of the raw material that you want to bring to a, a, a director and you want to talk about those those wider trends. And so that sense of it becomes a, I don't want to say it has to be perfectly daily for everybody, but you know, a very regular habit, you know, every other day, a certain point you sit down for 10 minutes and take care of that. It's why Jesuits are so, so big on the examine because that's, that's a daily prayer. It works because of being repeated and developing a habit because it changes the way you look at the world. You know, the, the way when you build these habits, it, it shifts the way you're looking around you. Speaking of habits, habitually, you know, Listening to other people talk about their own experience of prayer has to be like this amazing part of being it's, a priest or your vocation, right? It's a huge right? gift. What, how does that change the way you, you see God? 
so many times people, you know, um, you know, well, I'm in a period here where I'm transitioning from, from one place to another. So I'm doing a lot of goodbyes and people are being very kind and thanking me for that. And so they're, they're saying to me you know, different things about you've meant this much to me. And it's just amazing to be able to receive that and be around for that. I'm not typically good at it. I usually like to work to the last second and then disappear. And then, and then I don't have to experience any of the feels. Um, but to be around for some of that, it, it's funny to me to hear that because also for me in those moments, like when, when I meet with other Jesuits to talk about the experience of direction and, and that, so the super supervisory stuff, it's also a moment where I hear people's stories and it triggers me to be more attentive to where God is at work in all these different places. I start like channeling like a Hopkins poem in some sense, like God alive in so many different faces, so many different places, so many different ways. It just brings it really directly to the front for me to see that. That's got to be like an antidote against a lot of desolation, I would imagine. Or, or I guess when you're like looking at church structures and things seem really bad, just hearing everyday people talk about. Oh, where God is alive and active? Yeah. I mean, that's what gives you hope and faith and experiencing where God has been alive and work in people's lives. I mean, there's also the, the emotional toll it takes when someone's going through really dark uh, desolation or a really tough period to sit there and be present, um, you know, you know, I have to always watch, like one of the things I always want to do is try to fix it. I can't, mm-hmm. it's not my role to fix something. Which so, is frustrating, like on the other end, I often feel like I'm going into spiritual direction, <laughs> wanting something fixed. And right. That's not what happens there. I, I'm not God. Um, mm-hmm. The role of the savior is taken. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Glad for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> it's not me. Is, um, would you say that's the most challenging part for you or is... I think that's because of my personality. That's, mm-hmm. that's often the most challenging part. Because imagine if I, with my limited imagination and, and the way I see things, try to jump in there too early, too soon with whatever I'm thinking, that can become very problematic. Um, so that's because it's different than pastoral counseling. So pastoral counseling would be maybe more... A little more suggestive and, and give a true, like, you know, let's adjust and do these different behaviors or let's talk about different suggestions about how to do something. Practical question. I, I notice one of your directees often um, brings us baked goods here at the office when you meet with yes. us. Um, do most people have to pay for spiritual direction? So I have a number of directees that are, might donate to the Society of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I frequently work with young adults. Young adults, I don't know if you've noticed, may not have <laughs> as many assets. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> liquid funding as, as other groups of people. Um, so I'm frequently, I don't know, what would you call it, pro bono? <laughs> um, but if you can pay, because there are some people where direction is their whole livelihood. Um, and so if you can pay, I think that's really important. Uh, most directors I know will adjust their stipend or whatever mm-hmm. according to needs insofar as they are possible. But it, it is important to be able to sustain uh, this ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Eric, according to our credits, you've been providing us with Jesuit formation for over two years. <laughs> what does that actually mean? And so, it's distinct from direction. Yeah. So I think one of the things when you guys were creating this podcast, we talked a lot about this. You know, we're fighting over the, the name of the podcast and, and all that uh, uh, setup. I think one of the things is we wanted to provide a formation in, in Ignatian identity and how to pray and talk about your lives with an audience from an Ignatian perspective. And then that's what I've been trying to provide. Uh, language for that, um, some insights, some places to look at different things, and some rewording and some you know tweaking of, of stuff so that it makes sense within the Ignatian tradition so we can, we can show people what that's like and how that plays out in your life. So we called that Jesuit formation. I, I got no end of grief from a number of Jesuits because I'm, I'm not a Jesuit formator. So I'm, and I'm, you know, uh, you're, you're not, not turning you, us into Jesuits. I, you're not, you're not Jesuits. 
Jesuits, so it's not Jesu- it's not Jesuit formation in that sense. Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's very much Jesuitical formation. It is Jesuitical <laughs> formation, and so we're doing consolations and desolate. That's the part of the show yeah. we call it, which is part catchy, right? Right, and nice branding. But but what is it really? I think it's a public spiritual conversation. I mean, it is about consolations and desolations. Which are what? I mean, con- is our de- definition right? <laughs> Let me hear your definition. Part of a show where, where we, we talk about where we, we found, found God, God this week and, and where it was harder to find, find God. God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I think that's a really good definition. I think that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. to a lot of people. But I think, as you've all noticed, as we've talked about this more and more. It's not just one moment, but you're talking about trends and shifts and you'll frequently come in. I think I have a consolation that became a desolation, but here's the journey of the prayer and how this went about. And what you're really saying in that moment is like, I was really struggling to see where God was in this moment. And as I spent more time with it, you know, grace or something was revealed to me and that helped me understand what's going on. So they became less like, I have a consolation. I have a desolation (laughs) into, I have a journey in which God was accompanying me. And there were certain points where it was really hard for me to notice that, uh, or I didn't feel that, or I wasn't listening to God's voice. You know, Ignatian spirituality, we frequently talk about all the various voices, the voice of the evil spirit. That which accuses us, tells us we're not worthy, that which pulls us away from the good um, we, we want to do, that's another voice. And we've, we frequently listen to that voice and it can be quite subtle and there's all sorts of different things. Common phrases, the angel of um, darkness masquerading as an angel of light, you know, uh, one lesser good pulling you away from a greater good, th- those types of interactions. I think you're talking about that. Um, but what I think it's great is you're talking about it. Uh, not in a sort of hagiographical, all cleaned up, pious way, but in you know, like the reality of what happens. You guys know, frequently talk about. I was at a wedding. I was out with my friends. I was at a bar. I was walking down the street. Like all, all the places where you will uh, run into all the various voices, both good and bad, in your life. So you mentioned before that we jokingly call it uh, spiritual violence sometimes. <laughs> so what what are the risks of doing? spiritual formation in this way that it it is ultimately geared towards a public audience right. well, i mean because to the audience listening i just <laughs> sent a memo to the hosts of Je- of, of jesuitical about some uh, ground rules going forward on a couple a uh, couple things because we you know we do production on on some of this so i asked that i tell them they can tell me about absolutely anything but that doesn't mean you want to share that on a podcast that's going out to a wide audience right so that's part of your journey that's really important to talk about but then we're going to find ways to make sure that you're comfortable sharing that because i don't think it's actually appropriate to share the like completely raw completely intimate details of your life with absolutely everybody but you can you can share a version that it's not lying it's not inauthentic it's just preparing it for you know a, a public setting um, is it weird for you though to have us because we're your co-workers and we get mm-hmm. really vulnerable with you is that ever super strange for you to just hear us get so like i'm always sharing details of your <laughs> of my life with you that sometimes i'm just like does eric like does he want to hear all of this does he care that enoch and i fought last weekend like is that does that ever get weird for you i mean I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like the most authentic, honest answer I can give. To, like, so I'm now thinking of like the perfect public answer is no, it's never a problem. Well, of course I'm a human being, so there's 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 moments where that's that's slightly awkward, but not that problematic, you know. In that, I also have a support system of other Jesuits. I talk to about this, my own director, and people, so I, I can sort through some of that. I've also been trained in handling that for 16 years now of you know working with co-work. I'm the Jesuit in a, in a co-worker environment, and that 
that means sometimes, you know, things will be shared with me that you wouldn't share with another coworker because of the level of trust you expect. And I, that's my vocation and that's what I meant to provide. So I'm, I'm used to that. I, I always joke when I was in uh, campus ministry um, at the University of Michigan, you know, so many students would come through and talk. And I, as you all know, I actually have a pretty bad memory for this type of stuff. So like <laughs> a couple weeks later, I don't always remember it, that's but good. I would hear that's it. A great, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great thing. For someone hearing confessions. Great for confessions, especially. right? Yeah. <laughs> But um, there were moments, uh, just very fleeting, where I would hear a story from like six different angles and I would suddenly be like, oh, that's what they're all talk <laughs> talking about. And, it just, and then it would just kind of pass and move on. You're dating so-and-so. <laughs> right. Ah. <laughs> um, have you noticed a way in which we've changed talking about our consolations and desolations? And which one of us is the best at it? Yeah, that's, that's the real question Zach was heading toward. They can't see my face, who's, who's but I'm most rolling my eyes. Talk, yeah, most improved. You've switched, your, you've set your bar so differently, so quickly. You're all special in God's eyes. Uh, in Eric's eyes, though, we're not. We're not all special. That's why I was very clear with my wording. <laughs> Uh, what was the question? The question was, <laughs> how, how have we changed over the course of more than 100 episodes talking about our consolations and desolations? Um, one, I think, actually, you're, you're, you're less punctual than you used to. Most days I'm getting a message like, oh, my God, we have a recording and we haven't talked to you yet. Right? We're supposed to do that ahead of time. Yep. Um, because actually, earlier on, I think you were actually more nervous about it. Uh, and I remember noticing that. And now it's become a habit for uh, the three of you in the way that I'm never worried as much as I should. I mean, I do want to create a certain level of anxiety so that you actually show up and you know get your do your prep and everything. But I can tell that there's habits of thinking about these things throughout the week. So I know that like you're doing your homework in general, and it's not just about that moment, which I think has been a shift. I think you've, over the course of 100 episodes, begun to notice how important it is to sort of, you know, daily uh, make an effort and, and talk about these things or make notes of these things. And you, you've all come to me at different points with, I've been making notes in this set, this way or that way, whether it's electronic or actually writing it down or different things. And so that, that forming that habit and habits are just formed over time. So I think that's the biggest change that I've noticed, which also means, you know, sometimes we're like, is this a constellation or a desolation? It becomes, becomes more of a conversation of the ebb and flow of, of which voices you're paying attention to the voice of God or the voice of the accuser. Yeah. I feel like in the beginning, at least for me, it was often I was just like telling a story where I was like happy or I was sad. Right. And then like your role would be like, okay, so like where was the constellation? So can you talk a yeah, little you bit? Yeah, will, you, will, you guys anticipate that now because for the first, I think, 50 episodes, yeah. it was like, and so God is where? And so you're, you're ready for that question. <laughs> yeah. So so what? So yeah, what is, what's the difference between like maybe- A, a good constellation a, good a bad constellation? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I mean, that that is really where the like the spiritual violence portion of this comes out because mm -hmm. I'll, like in a matter of fifteen minutes I'll be like bang 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 like yeah. like just force you into a certain area and I think that's that's the danger of the the production part of it right so we you have these conversations but then you see what aspect of this do I can I share uh, do I want to share that really kind of encapsulates this because you guys will talk to me for fifteen twenty minutes. And we need to get that down to two minutes of the what's the nugget in there. So it's this kind of mining through that and and looking at that. And I think a, a lot of times it used to be I'm happy, happy, good. I'm sad, sad, bad. <laughs> and I've noticed, especially over your own experiences, uh, there are moments where maybe in the moment sad does feel bad, 
But a couple weeks later, you'll come back and you'll talk about, actually, there was a lot of grace in that. And you, and then from that experience, you can notice how sad isn't, isn't actually the absence of God. Suffering isn't, isn't, isn't the absence of God. And that I think is a really important lesson that everyone will say like, oh yeah, of course, in theory, that makes sense. But mm-hmm. gosh, when you're experiencing it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. To, so to, to be able to look into that, I think has been one of the, you know, the kind of growth moments. Also the whole, like, I'm happy. So like, is, is, is God just dopamine? Like, <laughs> if only. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've heard that argument presented. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that you, I mean, we're not special I get it, but Zach, you're so special. But thank you, Eric. And, you know, you you obviously have a lot of directees, but I, we're the only ones that are we're doing it for a podcast, <laughs> and we're doing a kind of unique thing here. What's been your favorite part about doing this particular type of formation? But but there's something very unique to it in the fact that I was able to see a lot of the responses on Patreon. I was able to see a lot of responses on Facebook. I was able to hear you guys share about that in prep meetings or uh, during the show. And so see how your sharing of your own lives affects so many other people and then watch them give you feedback and share their their own lives and then realize that in some small way I was able to be part of that at, at an earlier part in the chain. That's that's just, that's stellar. You know, I, I don't, most, most of my directees don't go out and, you know, uh, share that all publicly and then come back and say this is these this is how social media responded to right, that right. <laughs> it's not normally a feedback loop there's like not, this. not a feedback loop like that yeah. so that's 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 quite beautiful and then there's stuff that you've shared with me that never made it onto the podcast that I know about and to and to be aware of how some of that then six seven eight nine ten fifty episodes later comes up in a different way and you see how it how God has been at work for a very long period of time that's I mean, that's a great privilege for me as well to see some of that. So I've, I've found it to be a, a really fun moment. Plus you're, you're pretty easy to get along with. I'm not, I'm, I'm not just saying it. That's, um, that, <laughs> that's been hard won over a hundred episodes. It feels like. <laughs> yeah. It was, the relationship early on was really, really rough. I was concerned. I didn't so, know how it was going to go. So Eric, you, you know, what's coming. Final question for you. <laughs> if you could canonize anyone Catholic or not, living or dead, who would it be and why? <laughs> I, I have to confess, I should have known this was coming. I have not thought about this at all. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> Good. These are the best answers. Yeah. Canonization Spontaneous canonization. Spontaneous <laughs> um, canonization. Who would I canonize? I'm at a, a little bit of a loss here because I was going to canonize Oscar Romero and then Francis <laughs> went Too ahead late. and did it. I know. <laughs> Honestly, got a, got ahead of the game there. Um uh, Eric, you you've listened to every single episode of Jesuitical. You so knew this. Was you knew coming. this was coming. I did, and actually, I just got divine inspiration through my headphones uh, uh, about who I'm going to canonize here. I'm actually going to canonize your producer, Eloise Blondio. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Okay. okay, I'm here for it. Who was just who was just berating me uh, <laughs> on the headphones here in the studio? Said you've listened to every episode. How how were you not prepared for this? Actually. Um, Eloise has been such a blessing to work with. Um, as you guys know, on the, um, on the podcast, she hits deadlines, unlike me, <laughs> and she keeps, <laughs> keeps you on deadlines. And that has just been a, a, a absolute, uh, joy. So the, what she gives to the podcast and, um, all that work, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I hope she has a very long and prosperous life, but after that is finished, then I, we can start the canonization process <laughs> for St. Saint Eloise, Eloise. P- right. patron saint of oh. producers and people that have to work with Jesuits. <laughs> what a, that's, that's a great and lofty title. I think a lot of people could relate to. <laughs>
You uh, can't. <laughs> yep. She's Eloise is in my ear again, saying she she, she may cut this. She's become very uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. Well, we shouldn't end this interview without a really wrought emotional goodbye and thank you, um, Eric. I I mean I know you're you said you aren't super comfortable with hearing all the ways that you've influenced people's lives. But as you know, the way we've been able to develop our relationship with God has gone from, you know, where it was to where it is now. And I, I know that's like just been a huge gift to me um, to feel like I, I'm more aware of where God's leading me in my life. And that's huge, especially at a time when we're making a lot of big decisions right now. Um, so thank you for walking with us through all the awkwardness and hard times and good times. Um, and you're going to be a great parish priest. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a blast to be with all of you and to be with your uh, listeners. So uh, know that you will all continue to be in my thoughts and prayers and you will get your consolations and desolations <laughs> in on an orderly manner and on time on Monday afternoons before yes, you record. Will. The great, yeah. So the great news is Eric <laughs> will continue to provide this spiritual formation fr- remotely. From, from Cincinnati, Ohio. From Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> the homeland. The homeland. Eric, yes. thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you, Thanks Eric. so much, Eric. Thank Love you so you. much. Love you guys, too. Appreciate it. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. And we have something special this week because we have the privilege of having Eric in studio. We're going to kind of show you behind the scenes uh, how we produce our Consolations and Desolations. Uh, so who wants so to go first? True spiritual violence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what's All right, what do you guys have? Yeah. I have a desolation. Desolation. Consolation. So you go last. Yeah. Just so you know, listeners, we like to end on a happy note. <laughs> Give people hope. <laughs> All right, Olga, what do you got? Um, so my desolation this week, um, this past weekend, I went to the first service. I, I have really, haven't really been to church in a few weeks. Um, you know, Mother's Day, family things, like we're getting into that season of summer where like you're just busy for no reason. Um, so I went back for the first time this past Sunday and I just could not focus. I was checking my phone. I was like looking over to see how my fiance was praying or like how the people behind me were praying. And I was just not present at all. And it was just really the the desolation felt like it was I'm finally returning to this space of worship and I don't even have the energy to be fully present. Mm. Who's what voice is saying that to you? Um, wait, let me remember. Uh, the evil spirit, not God. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we've we've talked about this so many times. That's such a it's 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 a typical temptation, right? You're like I I've showed up and I and it's not working, and so mm-hmm. God's not here. Did you feel like so? What do I do now? Yes, I did. That's what I felt. And what did you do? Um, what I did now. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is the part where the production comes in. So ahead of time, we'll go and have a lot of space to be like, well, what what, what do I want to say rather than this is the moment where I'm just like, Eric, can you just please tell me where God was not <laughs> present there? Um, oh, but what I did like in that moment that yeah. I was feeling that desolation, um, I just gave into that distraction and I just was completely not present whatsoever, and I was unwilling to just like sit with God in that moment. All right. Ashley, what do you got this week? Uh, so Just I, pretend like we're not here. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, I also think I have a desolation. Um, so I was at a cousin's wedding down in Georgia, and uh, him and his now wife decided not to have a Catholic ceremony. It was an, uh, an outdoor, pretty much secular ceremony. Um, and I found in these situations, I can get pretty, like, judgmental. I'm like, uh... This isn't a Catholic wedding. There's something missing here. I don't really like it. <laughs> um, and then I just kind of tune out and don't really appreciate what good and love might be there. Um, and so I was just, yeah, I'm looking back on my experience with the wedding, like I don't like the person I see. Like I was kind of self-righteous and judgmental. <laughs> so, Yeah. But I'm not really sure what the desolation is besides <laughs> not liking that version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> With the, when you were talking a little earlier about this, you you also talked about how you felt some guilt because there's something beautiful going on, even in the, the thing. Right. The, the yeah. So, the, yeah, they were, you know, these are two people who love each other and are committing themselves to be together forever. Um, but I really I really wasn't like it was one thing I couldn't really hear what was going on because it was outdoor. And so I really just tuned it out and was just like, I'm not going to learn anything from this. I'm not there's nothing I can contribute to this and was just kind of like checked out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> I, just, I feel so weird doing this on air. <laughs> <laughs> but like when we when we talked about this, I think one of the things to point, that I would uh, key in to make sure the um, listeners here and you're recognizing in that is that that self righteousness that that moment just shuts you off. Um, you know, from it, I I don't want to say that it's wrong. Like you you recognize something's missing, right? And I think that's kind of beautiful. Like you you see something that's important about the church and the community, and this is this is missing from this. So you you recognize it and you grieve it. But then if you let it go too far, it shuts you off from being able to be present and plant a seed for people there or to be merciful and loving and caring about those people. If you get stuck in the righteousness, then that yeah. can become a real problem. And so th then you're not willing to work with where where is the God who still has hope, still is alive and still at work in that moment. I think that's those are the things I'd want you to bring out to mm -hmm. the listeners, which I have now just done violently by forcing on you. <laughs> Thank you. What do you have, Zach? I think it's a consolation, but in a sense, it's a little bit of both, like we were talking about earlier. Um, I've noticed that uh, over the past couple of weeks, um, just kind of what's been in the news and in uh, personal life and people around me, um, there's a lot of like struggle and a general feeling that things are bad. And Mostly because of Game of Thrones? Mostly, yeah, the ending okay. of Game of Thrones. No, no. Um, that too, but uh, more seriously than that, it's just like, I feel like I'm responding to a lot of suffering and struggle with cynicism and uh. sarcasm. And there, there is like, a, I guess, maybe a desolation there, but I've noticed that God is right there saying, this isn't who you used to be. Because I feel like I am generally a hopeful, optimistic person. Not that those are the same thing. But so like you respond in cynicism and you feel in that moment, wait, this isn't me. Yeah. And and there is an awareness of God being like, you don't have to respond like this, right? Like you, you there's an invitation to go, to go do something different or deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that's why you're probably naming it a consolation. There's an invitation present and you're recognizing the invitation, but you're also recognizing the moment where the cynical response is a way to shut down, right? Yeah. It's a way to ignore the invitation. It's a way to give up on hope. Um, and hope is hard, right? Mm -hmm. it's, and and it, I don't think the world's going to like suddenly do a, a, three, a 360, would bring it right back to where it is. Uh, a 180. 180, 180. <laughs> there you go. Uh, a 180, but you're still called to 
hopefully, so I would, you know, one of the things I, I would be asking Zach, which I am now saying out loud to the <laughs> listeners, which is very disconcerting. Uh, <laughs> you, I'd want you to uh, pull out and talk to the listener about that, that invitation being present and how that cynicism, it sounds like, is a way to shut down that invitation, right? Because if you stay with the cynicism, there's no invitation. There's nothing we can do. I'm going to protect myself from even grieving, right? Because grieving what could be the loss also makes us aware of what is lost and, and thinking about how, you know, um, where did where did this go wrong? Cynicism is kind of like a way of not truly engaging. And that will be my prayer in the coming weeks. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric. Thanks, no problem. Eric. <laughs> All right, Jesuitical is produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation, provided by Father Eric Sundrup. Production help from Kieran Freeman. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Rachel P. Jones. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week.